Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, your resume stinks, or better said, how to prepare your resume. Here we go. Okay, uh, welcome to Burke, Virginia, Mark. Good to see you, Mike. This is becoming a, a regular, uh, yeah, a regular thing for us. So, it, got uh, clients in Washington D.C., so I'm here regularly. Yeah, it's great. So, um, we're going to do something different today, which um, most people might not think fits r- into the mold of what we've been doing. But today, we're going to talk about resumes. Yeah, preparing your own resume. Yeah, and I bet people are thinking, "Wow, imagine they're talking to me about how to be a better manager, and then they're suggesting I leave the company." But that, that's not what we're suggesting. That can't, you know, that can't be it. No. So, so what are we suggesting? What, what, what's important to the managers and listeners of this uh, podcast about maintaining their own resume? Yeah, the first thing is is that uh, if you have a feeling that your resume is something you need to stay off your desk, you're right. There's still the old the old adage that a resume is a bad thing to be you know it's to be heard but not seen. In other words, you talk about your resume in an interview, but you don't actually show it to anybody at your at your company. That's that's true. Uh, resumes still have a stigma. Uh, if somebody sees your resume on a desk, on your desk, they're going to assume that you're Looking. job hunting. Yeah, yeah exactly. And that's a negative. No matter, you know, even if you have a very enlightened boss, they're going to perceive that as a negative. If nothing else, they're going to be frustrated by it. The point, though, is, is that uh, in the last 20 or 30 years, companies have really turned over the responsibility of managing people's careers to the employee. You need a document to capture your career success. And the, res- the document that's perfect for that is your resume. So if you change your thinking to see your resume as a career history, you're going to be fine. And you just need to keep it off of your desk. Do it at home. Do it after hours when nobody's gone. Um, you must keep your resume current. I would say that fully 70% of the resumes I get have errors in them. When I look at the resumes, the vast majority of the errors are on the most current jobs, and I know what's happened. I mean, easily half the time when people call me, they say, Mark, i got an interview coming up. I really need some help. And I can hear by the urgency in their voice that they have essentially gotten something on short notice, and they prepared a resume on short notice, and it looks like crap. I mean, just... In fact, I, I joked with you earlier, I would bet anyone on this podcast 100 bucks that their resume is horrible. And I get double if I find an error on the resume. Now, not one they spend time working on after this podcast, but the one they had beforehand. It's just, it's atrocious. But if you, again, if you see it as a, a career maintenance and management tool where you capture things that you'd forget two years later because you can't go back and recreate things two years after the fact, it's a very powerful tool and you've got to do it. Yeah, would you say that... Um well, I'll just put it this way. In my in my experience, has been when I've been when I've needed a resume. It is when I've least expected to need a resume. Yeah. Not like I got fired, but the opportunities of a lifetime are those things where um, you know a target of opportunity shows up. Right. Those, those are the good jobs generally. Yeah. yeah. And that's when you're least prepared to do it. Yeah. And and you know if you're good, you're going to be busy all the time at work. If you don't schedule time for this on a, you'll find out on a quarterly basis. If you don't know how to put a resume together, and I would bet easily 40 to 50% of the ones I get are not well put together. Um, if you don't know how to put it together and then you rush something, um, it's just not going to look professional. And the really good jobs are going to be interviewed by or going to be screened for by people who really know what a good resume is like. Look, if you want to stay in second-class jobs the rest of your life, that's no problem. Have a second-class resume. But if you want something, if you want to impress people, you need to have it done in advance. Okay. Okay. Let me ask you one of the most common questions you hear 
from people about resumes? How long? Exactly. Um, and, and this is where people get it wrong. I see 25-year-olds with this one, you know, with, with this one blown, uh, blown out the window. The answer is, no matter who you are, one page, period. One page. One page. Not one and a quarter if you're 45 years old. Uh, you know, I'm 45 years old. I think you're about that. We both have one-page resumes, period. Okay. Now, okay, if you're Neil Armstrong and you landed on the moon, you get to have a two-page resume. Okay. Well, if you're Neil Armstrong, you don't need a resume. Yeah, that's exactly right. Wouldn't that be cool? I've always joked with people when I talk about resumes that, you know, first man to step foot on the moon. Period. Yeah. In the resume. Yeah. In 48-point in, in type. That would be pretty um, good. Yeah. In uh, what, what the newspaper business would call second coming type. Um, yeah. One page. Uh, the second page won't get read because they'll assume it's from a long time ago in your past. Look, if you're a CEO of a $500 million company and you've been vice president of marketing, vice president of operations of Fortune 500 companies, okay, fine, page and a half, two pages. Um, but 99% of the people who are listening to this podcast, one page resumes, period. Well, that makes it pretty tough. I've, I've heard and, and read, and I'm sure you've seen it, um, where people say you need a lot of white space. You need to... <sighs> You know, it's all the same. It's interesting. I think computers cause something like that as well, in the sense that now I have a graphics program, so therefore I'm an artist. Or I hear that white space is important, so I'm going to magically assume that I know how much white space makes a resume beautiful. White space means nothing on a resume. Nothing. Uh, in fact, my resume, I think the margins are 0.5 on, on left and right and 0.75 on top and bottom. And it's jammed full of 10-point type. You're trying to distill your entire professional life, 5, 10, 15, 20 years, down to one page, and you think it'd be cute to have white space? Now, some people would say, well, the reason I need white space is because I'm going to go ahead and take my one-pager and turn it into a two-pager. We hate that as recruiters. Look, interviewing, job searching, the, the, the job transition market, interviewing particularly, is, a, is an artificial reality designed by companies to keep people out. We don't want to, to see what you want to show us. We want to see what we want to see. And what we want is to make it simple. If you put a cover letter on top of it, we've already got two pages. You staple a second page of your resume to it from stuff that's way back in your career anyway. It's probably not relevant. It's probably happened even before computers were invented. Well, then, you know, we just don't look at it. So we never get there. So one page. If I'm at my age, 45 years old, 25-year career, if I can fit it on one page, so can the vast majority of our listeners. Actually, you know, I, I don't think most people, we've probably talked about it before, but most people here probably don't realize that you were, for a number of years, you were a recruiter. I was, yep, exactly, so for seven you, years. You come from a very I, I unique be, perspective Yeah, here. I would be willing to bet, and I get five to ten resumes every week by email. Hey, take a look at my resume. These are friends who just want me to just take a quick look because they've added a new job. Um, you know, I have a friend who left, uh, who got out of the Navy, went to work at a high-tech company. I helped him with the Navy resume. I helped him with a high-tech resume, helped him get into a top five business school, helped him do his resume from there in order to get hired a consulting firm, looked at his resume again when he went down to interview as a chief of strategy at one of the biggest companies in the country. Looked at it every single time. It took me maybe 15 or 20 minutes, but he started out with great raw material and he had a one pager. Um, so yeah, I spent seven years. I would be willing to bet in my lifetime, I've seen close to 50,000 resumes and almost all of them are horrible. But the great thing is at the end of this podcast, everybody who's listening is going to know how to have a good one. And when you have a good one, once you do the work, it's going to take you a few hours to get it done right the first time. When you do the work, it stands out so much that people will talk to you, even if you're 
credentials, if you're, you're, uh, it's not exactly aligned, they won't care because your resume will say, I'm a professional. It will sing to them. No question. Okay. You looked at a lot of resumes and help people out. Do, do you recommend that uh, our listeners who are having trouble or challenges with a resume go out and, no, and get no, help from no, a professional? No, no, no. Like let me stop you now. No, no, don't pay me. Um, uh, and in fact, I'm sure you'll correct me. I, I'm not going to say on air, I'll be happy to take a look at people's resumes because I'll be deluged with resumes. I just can't do that. Um, because if I'm going to look at a resume, I'm going to look at it from top to bottom. Um, but no, what, what you're paying for, resume preparation services uh, are essentially typing services. And if you can't type, you got no business being a manager in, in, at any size company anywhere. Um, so no, don't do that. And if they say, well, we'll ask you a lot of questions. Look, I have some friends who do some very technical work. If you've got somebody who's got a really nice document, a desktop publishing system on their computer, that doesn't mean they know anything about the nuclear power business or about the machine tools business or about designing car parts and those kinds of things. And they'll mess up the acronyms. They'll mess up all kinds of stuff. So no, don't pay for it ever. Once you listen to this podcast, you know what you need to know. Okay. You said you said earlier, 10 type font. Uh yeah. Times Roman, Courier. Yeah, yeah, almost, you know, definitely it, not Courier. Matter, or does it, you know, it It does a little bit. I mean, if I had to recommend two or three, I'd say Bookman, um, Times New Roman. Um, but Courier, I think, is the one that looks like an old-fashioned typewriter. Uh, that's not effective. Look, you're not a typeface expert. Neither am I. Choose Times New Roman. You'll be fine. Now, I actually have mindset in Verdana. V-E-R-D-A-N-A, which is a little bit unusual, um, but then my resume is a little bit unusual, obviously, um, because I'm never going to get a job ever again. I like my job. Thank you very much. Um, but Verdana is one of those, what we call a sans serif font. It doesn't have those little feet on it. It actually looks a little better, I think, on the page for me, um, but most, 95% of the people who are listening need to go probably with Times New Roman or Bookman. Um, those little feet on the bottom actually make it more readable. And um, particularly if you're going with 10 point font, 10 point is about the right size. Now, if you're only if you're only 23, 24 years old, you're listening to this, you've just started your corporate career and you want to go with 12 point, that's fine. But if you've got a two page resume or a page and a half and you're at 12 point, put it in 10 immediately and watch yourself shrink to one page. No problem at all. Hmm. Now, now, somebody might say, well, gosh, 10 point, that looks small, you know, compared to others. Says, yeah, the vast majority of resumes you've seen are horrible. So why do you care whether it looks what it looks like? You want to look different than everybody else's. Trust me, from a person who sees thousands of them. You want it to be different. Ten point, Times New Roman, or Bookman. Okay. How about um, you want it to be different? How about putting it on purple paper or some other kind of cool you know, marketing technique to get some attention? I, I love marketing. I love good marketing. I particularly love it when somebody who is going up for a job against me uses purple paper because I want them to market themselves well. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Feel free to put it on purple, but don't confuse marketing with effectiveness. I, I don't care to be marketed to. Do you know, you know what your resume is designed to do, Mike? It's designed to do two things. Tell me the jobs you've had and tell me how well you've done them. The color of the paper means nothing. Now, I won't argue with you that a really well-crafted cover letter, which we'll cover in another podcast because a good cover letter really can make a difference. A well-crafted cover letter with a, with a marketing phrase or something clever on there uh, sent to somebody particular with a particular message, I'm all for that. But your resume is largely a one-dimensional object designed to show what you've done and how well you've done it. Don't get cute with it. White paper. Print it if you're going to print it on your, your printer, which is fine. You don't need a laser printer. You absolutely can use one of the ink, you know, uh, one of the, um, what do we call the other ones? It's not laser printer. It's a... Uh, inkjet. Inkjet. Or, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a $100 
Hewlett Packard printer or something like that, totally fine at highest quality. And get good paper, certainly. But do you need crane business paper, you know, 100% rag content paper? No, you don't. I'd like to see something more than, than uh, uh, copy paper, but it's not absolutely critical. I've gotten great resumes, Xeroxed on regular copy paper that put all the others in a pile to shame because mm -hmm. they're relevant and they've achieved a lot in the areas that I want them to achieve in. So, Okay, how about, um, how about other formatting hints in terms of Name and address, email address, right. and kind of the, the format of the overall yeah. resume. Look, um, and again, this is really kind of background. We really want to, the key to it is, of course, the the, the, the meat of it. But but it, you know, people always ask that. I, I tend to give a little bit more leeway here. And other parts, is, you, you know, you, you, our listeners have probably figured out there are some things I'm striding about I really care about. Actually, I have some flexibility on a lot of things I talk about. But so often, if I suggest that you can be flexible on something, people go crazy thinking, well, that's an area that I can mess around in. And then they mess up the fundamental reason why the, the document exists. Um, you know, if you want to put your, your name, address, uh, email address, a home email address off to the left, or you want to put it all in one line at the top, that's fine. I generally recommend centering your name then below it your address, then below it your phone number, and then below it your email address. Underline your email address so they recognize it. Um, you know, if you want to put your web page, if you have your own web page, your own blog, absolutely put those on there. I would certainly check to make sure that they're relevant. Um, you know, if you're interviewing for a coding job, but it's not in in web stuff, and your your blog is about your cat probably not relevant, so it's not helpful. Um, just because it's something about you, quote unquote, doesn't mean I'm interested in it. We're not, I mean, we're not bad people. Okay, we are bad people. Um, <laughs> it's not that we don't care. Uh, okay, we actually don't care. Um, we're looking at we're looking for what jobs you've done and how well you've done them. Um, but generally, centered and bold. If you wanna to go to 12 point type, if you've got the room at the top to put your, your name in 12 point, that's fine. Whatever you do, make sure that the phone has an answering system, an answering machine, or mm. voicemail, and evaluate your answer. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to my kids. I have two great kids in college. I'm lucky to have them. I love them to death. Um, and, uh, you know, I get on them when they say, yo, guys, it's Kate. You know what to do. So, you know, you're a senior in college. That's cute for your buddies, but it's not appropriate for a recruiter calling you and she's going to get recruited for you know engineering jobs in corporate america soon and the message should be something like hi this is kate i'm not available please leave a message simple as that uh your email is something that should be checked every day look if you've got trouble if you've got an email address at work but you have a funny one at home let's say you've got superman loves batman at at google.com or at yahoo.com and you want to get a different different one get one of your buddies to send you a gmail uh, invitation if if somebody needs a gmail invitation send us a note i'll be happy to send them an invitation they get free google mail and put your name markhorseman at gmail.com for instance that's not my email address at google um markhorseman at gmail.com so that you can and check it every single day and if you're smart you know how to arrange so that your outlook or whatever can go grab that mail grab that pop mail account it's got to be checked every day so pretty straightforward if you again if you want to string them all across in one line that's fine um uh, i generally recommend centering them each one of them right on top of one another name address phone and then email address okay but after that the rest of the the rest of the resume 
you know, yeah, chronological, reverse chronological. Exactly, reverse chronological. You don't even have to put history or anything. People say, well, what about high school? What about college? Nope, we leave them off. Actually, college, we'll talk about that. It goes down at the very bottom. It's not a very big deal. Uh, it, it's No, don't don't get me wrong. It's important to have it. It's not a big deal. You know, Just because you went to Harvard doesn't mean it goes to the top of the resume. Okay, What we're going to hire you for is what you've done and how well you've done it. So after that, it is you, you, you can put a little line, this is job history, but you don't need to. You can just start with your most recent job and every the rest of the resume except for the education stuff at the bottom is very simple each job has three parts to it a little bit of admin we'll go through the details in just a little bit the job responsibilities in a paragraph and then accomplishment bullets below it that's it so if you've had eight jobs you'll have eight chunks of text on your resume a little bit of admin a little bit of responsibilities and some bullets one after the other after the other after the other and then down at the bottom your education and you're done Okay, um, so each job, think of it as having three parts. Really, the trivial part is the administrative portion, um, and, and it kind of runs right into the responsibilities. You know, I just thought of something, Mike. Well, it might not be a bad idea for us to post a sample resume so they can see what a good one looks like. Just a real simple one. We'll, we'll take out the name and everything else. They'll get some sense of uh, what one looks like really professionally done, 10 point. Be happy right. to do that for everybody. Um, but, but each job, again, admin to begin with. The way I recommend doing it is putting the dates first, November 2004 to November 2005. I've got that bold and underlined and then followed by a colon. So it says, these are the dates I've had the job. Then the next thing is you put the job title, administrative assistant or deputy plant manager, whatever your company called the job. If the job title is really unusual or, or, or if it's very vague, you know, the classic one is I'm a senior manager. Well, okay, that doesn't really help me. You know, if you're a senior manager at, uh, at Coca-Cola, I want to know senior manager in what? So you might put senior manager diet Coke marketing team. Okay, that's helpful to me. Uh, it'll give me some more information. So t- dates, including months, we're gonna come back to that in just a minute, including months, not day, actual days, but months, um, not just years, uh, the title, and then the company you work for. So November 2004 to November 2005, senior manager, Diet Coca-Cola, Diet Coke marketing team, Coca-Cola Corporation, the company, and then finally the location, Atlanta, Georgia. Okay, I recommend all of that be bold and underlined because if that's the only bold and underlining that you do on your resume other than your name right at the top, it makes it easy for us to see where each job starts and stops. That's not to say there's not a carriage return between each job. There is. I mean, basically, um, each job is a block of text followed by some bullets that are there are no there are no returns between the text and the bullets. Then there's a space before the next job and you start right off with the next dates and so on. Don't leave out the dates or the, don't leave out the months. If you put 2004 to 2005, I'm sorry, whether you think it's okay or not, every recruiter I know immediately draws. What conclusion do you think? You worked there for about a month from December 2004 to January 2005 or something. Exactly. Exactly. Like that. We just know there's something going on. Now, you might say, well, there's nothing going on. Yes, but we just wasted two minutes of your precious interviewing time. Two minutes of a 30-minute interview is, well, how much is that? It's almost 10% of your interview. We're wasting. Actually, when you get done with chit-chat, it is. It's more than 10% oh, of the interview. If you get that far. Exactly. Yeah, right, like, if you got yeah, that's right. Resumes. I'm sorry. You're absolutely right. You're doing my job for me. Absolutely. Um, like, what is this guy trying to hide? And you know, Now, why do you think we think that, Mike? Why do you think recruiters think that when people just put years... Why, why do we tolerate ourselves making that conclusion that somebody's hiding something? Well, you got so many resumes 
to go through. You're, you're looking for reasons to weed people out yeah. in a lot of cases. Yeah, exactly. That's why the single biggest mistake I see in terms of content, not in terms of just you know four pages long or spelling errors, typing errors, and of course the spelling errors, people spell check them. They just they use the wrong word. Spell check is not foolproof, obviously, the keyword being fool. Um, what happens is, is that people mix their responsibilities in with their accomplishments, or even, or, or put it more simply, they put some bullets down on their resume. We'll talk about those in just a moment. But the bullets are all responsibilities. If you list nothing but your responsibilities in the job, to me, you're no different than the guy who did the job but got fired and is trying to avoid you knowing that he got fired. And so he just lists responsibilities. It's not enough for me to know that you had a job. That's the first half of the equation. The second half is how well you did it. If there's no accomplishments on the, on the job, I'm thinking, well, you got fired or you didn't do it well enough to stand out in any way, shape or form, which means I don't want to give you a chance in my job. Do you think, do you think most recruiters are approach their job in a cynical fashion? Yes. They're, they're looking for reasons yeah, to eliminate but, but you. Let me, let, me, let me put a fine point on that. And this may be in the, you know, somebody, some manager might call and say, ah, you're, you're putting too fine a point on it. No, recruiters are not cynical. We're, we're, we pay attention. We're, uh, we're wise. I mean, we are, we're not cynical. We, what's the way to put it? We're experienced. Look, you look at a hundred resumes that all leave off the month and 70 of them are trying to hide something. Look, no offense, but we're going to draw that conclusion about the other 30. We need heuristics just like anybody else. We need cheats to get through this interview, the, the resumes of a thousand that are, that are in our inbox. People say all the time, well, I sent it in, but nothing happened. Unfortunately, they mistakenly believe it's because recruiters are not doing their job. Well, so many resumes are so bad. Yes, something happened. We said no, but we don't have time to write a letter to everybody. So no, I don't think it's cynical. I can understand why somebody would draw that conclusion. You may have a perfect resume, but because you didn't know what you were doing, you engaged in four or five mistakes that a rookie would or somebody who didn't, do, had a, didn't have a good career did. I'm sorry. We don't know enough about you. This is simply a process to weed things out. Is it gonna, are we going to have false negatives? Absolutely. We would much rather have in the recruiting process a bunch of false negatives, in other words, saying no to the wrong people, than what's the opposite of that? False negatives. The last thing we want is to hire somebody who turns out wrong. So we say no if we're given half a chance. It is exactly the same as a criminal justice system. Both systems are designed to avoid bringing people inside who shouldn't be there. In the case of recruiting, we're trying to avoid hiring somebody who shouldn't have been hired. That's a false positive. Um, in the criminal justice system, we're trying to avoid a false positive, meaning saying you're guilty when in fact you're not. We'd rather have some people out on the outside who perhaps should be in prison that just to avoid the chance of bringing, putting somebody in prison right. that shouldn't be there. I'm Same thing here. Well, I'm glad you brought up the criminal justice system because... You know, probably lawyers are the only people I dislike more than recruiters. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell people all the time, recruiters are, are the best sales, the most hated salespeople in the world, but they're good at it because they have to say no to people all the time about their company and they have to make say no and make them like them. They have to yeah, uh, yeah. Leave, leave the, oh, I really, boy, great company. He just said no to me. Okay, so we talked about admin. The next thing we have is two to three to four sentences of, of responsibilities, okay? These are things that ideally would come from your job description, quite frankly, but so many job descriptions, as we all know, are so terrible, you may not be able to go there. But you wanna describe what the responsibilities of your job are, okay? 
Um, something like responsible for the budgeting and coordination of a $3 million quality improvement program. Responsible for motivating 15 call center representatives to achieve quality, quantity, and sales goals. Now, those are just first sentence examples. It might go on to be um, oversee. By the way, starting with a an action verb, oversee, supervise, reduce, enhance. That's a great way to start those sentences in the in the prose part of the response the responsibilities part of the uh, of the job and and this continues all one line I mean you don't you don't start a new paragraph if you will after you finish Coca-Cola Atlanta Georgia you can just put a dash and put responsible for supervising 12 diet coke marketing specialist slash professionals in producing marketing and advertising campaign in support of diet coke uh, the number one diet branded soda product in America, period. And then continuing as if you're reading a, writing a paragraph, continuing um, without a carriage return, two or three or four more sentences which describe your responsibilities more fully. It might be manage a budget. It might be uh, involved in a project on this. You might be on a corporate uh, uh, cost containment uh, uh, project team. You might be involved in an international marketing um, cross-functional group. Uh, you might have safety responsibilities. You might be on an anti-discrimination uh, anti, um, uh, uh, task force. You might be, a, might be one of the corporate recruiters, those kinds of things. You want to have two to three to four sentences that relate to your job, okay? The core responsibilities of your job, okay? Um, we want to know basically what job you're responsible for doing. Because then the next thing that's going to happen is once you finish that paragraph looking like thing, you're going to hit carriage return, and then you're going to start putting in bullets. And you're going to list bullets, which are essentially accomplishments that relate to your job responsibilities. So if, if you're one of your responsibilities is motivating 15 call center representatives to achieve quality, quantity, and sales goals, I'd like to hear how well you did on your sales goals, on your quality goals, and on your quantity of calls. Okay. Achieve 94% of quality uh, um, standards within two months on the job. Ranked number one in the company in um, volume of calls over a three-month uh, sales push period. Um, ranked fifth out of 95 teams in sales quota achieved during quarters two, three, and four, FY 2004. Okay. Right. Um, reduced cost by 9% by creating innovative... Um, uh, login system, uh, increased sales by 4% by coaching on core sales operations or core sales techniques uh, with top performers on my team, um, uh, uh, helped get promoted to representatives who had been um, previously offered jobs but had failed to get through the interviewing process. Um, uh, Reduced turnover uh, from previous manager by 85%. Always starting with an action verb telling me how you improve sales, how you reduced costs, how you improve quality, how you reduced waste. All those core things that people talk about over and over again. So there are like 10, this goes without saying, I think. Right. If, there, if you had 10 responsibilities, you're going to write down three or four. You're going to pick the three or four that you did well with. Sure. That's, so that's where you kind Well, of, yeah, with a caveat. You don't want to pick the three or four that are trivial if you didn't do well on your top well, five you do well and right. they're relevant yes to the position that you're relevant to the position you were in but even more so relevant to the position you're currently interviewing yeah for, if, you, if you're a, if you're a manager if you're a director for instance in a call center and you have five managers who report to you and so you're responsible for qual call volume and call quality and customer service metrics 
and you list the fact you list your top three bullets as being part of a diversity task force nothing wrong with the diversity but that's really not what your primary job is it's an, a major additional duty but you're you're you have five bullets and the first four are all about this diversity initiative i'm not impressed i, I want to know about the diversity initiative don't get me wrong but you and i are going to spend five or ten minutes talking about how well you really did as a director in the call center if part i get of your that job. far if you get that far right. exactly yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know you make a good point this is the second time you said it about if you've got get that far the, the resume has a very clear purpose to get you an interview. That's what it's there for. The beauty of a great resume is not only does it get you an interview, Mike, it then increases the chances you're ready for the interview because you've told them how well you did your last job. And when they ask you for examples of things from your past that relate to what they're going to be doing, the classic behavioral interview that everybody ought to know how to do and which we have future podcasts scheduled to go over. If you look at that, um, you will be able to pick bullets right off your your resume. You will have thought about them if you're maintaining your resume correctly, and you will have to talk about them for three or four or five minutes cogently. If you don't have responsibilities listed, you're going to be scrambling around for accomplishments for 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 examples for the, your behavioral interview. So yeah, it not only the purpose of the resume is to open the door, but a good resume not only opens the door but pushes you halfway through it because it tells you exactly what you should be preparing for in those interviews. Yeah, great point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so you might have three or four sentences and you might have five or six accomplishments. So you'll have five or six bullets. The key thing is I should be able to look at each bullet and those are bullets that relate to you. Those are accomplishments that are yours. The previous person in the job can't claim those bullets. Okay. Unless he happened to do the exact same percentage improvement or the exact same call, uh, sales, sales improvement or reduction in, in, uh, uh, waste or whatever the case might be. Those accomplishment bullets again they've got little bullets little round dots to the left of them flush with your left margin okay you don't need to indent them please folks don't indent them as a way to create white space all that means is if it's a good long bullet you're going to end up having a carriage return and you're going to you're going to steal space from the bottom of your resume um you want each bullet to fit on on one line if at all possible a lot of times if somebody says to me i have a page and a half resume marcus it send it to me let me look at it and i figure out a way to reword the bullet that you don't lose any detail you don't need to tell us the whole story you just need to give us the highlight so that we can then ask a question about it in the interview um I end up pushing those bullets off to the left. So don't indent your bullets thinking that you're making your, your resume pretty with all that gorgeous artist in you creating white space for us. Us recruiters really don't care about white space. Thank you very much. Um, but those accomplishments should be yours, whereas the responsibilities part of your job, each one of those, essentially the guy who had the job before you, he or she could claim those responsibilities. The bullets are what make it yours. And of course, tell us how well you did the job. That's it. Okay. And, and then you've got a carriage return. So there's a line of white space between your present job and the job you had before it. And yes, every recruiter, you know, we talked about this Diet Coke uh, manager job. And I happen to have a friend, a uh, great guy who uh, left Kellogg and went to Diet Coke and is, in fact, now in Korea. And, um, you know, he's got a great resume. And if your resume says November 2004 to November 2005 for your last job, the top job on, in the reverse chronological order, the job below that ought to say October 2004 is an ending date or November 2004 is an ending date. It's okay if you say October and then the next one starts in November. We're not gonna we're not gonna get picky about that. But we're gonna look for your employment history. And if you've got a two-year gap, be ready to explain it. Don't be defensive. You know, I once read in Fortune magazine or one of the magazines something about, oh, well, somebody answered a question about, you know, I, I had cancer for two years or had leukemia and I, I took two years off and I'm wondering, should I leave that out? 
Oh yeah, you should try to avoid talking about that. No, I got to tell you, no, you, you, you dress as straightforwardly. I, I had cancer. I was two years out of the workforce. I'm back. I'm ready to go. Um, be ready to talk about breaks in employment. I, I, I stayed home and had a child. Good for you. Half the people on the planet couldn't do that accomplishment. Uh, we admire that you did it. Um, and we are not going to discriminate against you because you did it. On the other hand, if you're defensive and attempt to hide it and fudge your dates, I don't have any problem with, with taking time off your family. I do have a problem with lying. But if you change the dates, you're lying, period. Don't lie on your resume. Marketing is not lying. Sometimes people say, well, it's a marketing document. I'm trying to market myself. Yeah, there's a difference. And if you don't know what it is, I don't want to hire you. Simple as that. Okay. Now I, I got all my, I have my my heading completed. Right. I've done all my job descriptions, the job title and location, all that. Right. I've done the just, you know, description responsibilities. Right. I've done my bullet points and my accomplishments. Right. I've done that for all my jobs. What next? How about at the bottom? I, at the bottom, you put your education. For most people listening to the podcast, I'm guessing they have an undergraduate degree, and it will be very simple. I'm going I'm to list mine. Okay, BS. Mechanic bachelor, bachelor of Science. You don't have to write out Bachelor of Science. BS, Mechanical Engineering, United States Military Academy, West Point, New York, May 1982. Period. That's it. If it's been three to five years since you graduated and you graduated summa cum laude or magna cum laude and you want to include that, or, uh, by the way, Dean's List really doesn't impress us, even if it's from Harvard. Um, grade inflation now being what it is, three-quarters of the student body seem to be on the Dean's List. But if you graduated magna or summa, magna or summa cum laude, okay. And, and if you only have two jobs and you want to include a couple of key extracurricular activities, your president of your fraternity, absolutely go ahead and put it on there. In fact, I would argue that in some cases, for a fairly young person, two to three years out, if you wanted to include a job as president of your fraternity or a unique job that you had in college on your resume, absolutely would do so. Um, and if you worked through college, I would expect to include it. Uh, I don't want to see 12 Taco Bell jobs in a row. Um, but if you had a job that was anything other than menial, um, or if you had a menial job and you kept it for four years and worked your butt off to pay for college, I'd want that to be a bullet in the, in the job that you were. You know, if you worked at Taco Bell for seven years and maybe you're only an assistant manager, but in seven years you paid for your entire college yourself, I want to see that. I, I really like that, in fact. That's a pretty impressive thing. Uh, but, but, the, but it would be BS or BA followed by your concentration or your major, followed by your school, followed by where your school was. That's to avoid people from University of Texas. No offense, San Antonio. University of Texas, San Antonio, just writing University of Texas, right? Because there's difference between the flagship state school and other schools in most states. Um, part of the system, but not the flagship. UT is in Austin. And if it doesn't say Austin, we're going to ask you. And then the date you graduated. Simple as that. If you've got a master's degree, you know, MBA, uh, Kellogg School at Northwestern University, concentration marketing and finance, um, March or June, you know, June 2005. Great. Want to put that too. That one goes on top of your BS. Basically, your most current education goes on top. Don't put your high school GPA. Don't put your high school stuff on there. Pretty simple and straightforward. Again, if there are key extracurriculars in your MBA and you want to put those in a line indented below your MBA, above your BS, fine. But I wouldn't put much more than that. Then, then after your education, then hobbies, you know, golf, knitting, you know, I swimming. Just, it, Karate. Now, uh, I, I, there are people who have probably already... Podcasting. Been, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is a hobby. Um, tell our clients that. Um, 
Uh, you know, it's funny. If you Google me, you can find a, a two-hour presentation that I think is broken down into three parts that I gave at the Kellogg School at Northwestern uh, last January, and I'll be going back up there soon, I think. And um, one of the things that uh, I talk about is how terrible their resumes are. But but that is a little bit of an artificial situation where the where the Kellogg is actually is actually managing the system very very tightly. Harvard does this, Fuqua does it at Duke, uh, the Stanford uh, you know uh, Stanford School does it as well, um, Chicago does it. Um, so um, it, it's not always true that this is the what I'm recommending. What we're recommending here is the perfect system. It absolutely is once you're out in corporate America and doing this on your own. But if you're at an MBA school, you're going to get some subtle differentiation um, and they recommend more extracurricular activities and so on uh, I, I don't and, and your personal hobbies and interests they've just about gone the way of um, uh, references and here's how we feel about references don't waste the space because if we need your references we can get them because you'll give them to us. Now, you should have them at the ready. You should have people's names and phone numbers ready to give out and addresses. So if they want to send a, a questionnaire or call somebody, that's fine. I get called for references all the time. I'm happy to do it for people I know well. Um, but but what, what happens is, is that people put a bunch of stuff on there, and then that leaves them less space. Or they think they can go to two pages, which doesn't work. It leaves them less space for their accomplishments and their responsibilities, which is really what we want the resume to do. Um, references are a throwback to the time when you had to be from from a well-to-do family. Your references showed who you were and when you're, where you went to church and where your father went to school. That's not the way, you know, America, America really truly is, for the most part, a meritocracy now. It's not about who your father is or who your mother is or whether you went to the right prep school or whether you went to the right undergraduate school. Those things make a difference, but only for a year or two after you graduate. And then it all boils down to performance. Uh, the person who works hardest, who's smartest, who takes care of the people around him or her, and gets ahead the most is the one who's going to do the best in the long run. So, yeah. Okay. Simple. So that's it. It's so boring. I mean, it really is. And you know, I think I've said this before on podcast management, good management is boring. It's repetitive. It's slow. It's not pretty. It's not sexy. This is not a marketing document that you're going to sex up and make cool. Just don't even bother. And I'll tell you something else. I want to make it put a little side here. Um, there are probably people who are thinking, well, I, I don't really need a resume. And by the way, some, some people in Europe might be thinking, gosh, is this the way we do resumes? This is the way major corporations want resumes to be. My brother's a, a, an executive at a major European firm. This is the way his resume is. This is the way executives want to see your resume. A good sign of your resume doing well is an executive, not an HR person, an executive, a line executive is seeing your resume. Um, Look, as, as I mentioned to you before, we have listeners in Kalgoorlie, Australia. Um, it's a small company. It's a successful drilling consumables manufacturing shop. They have 12 employees. The owner and the manager need a resume. Not because they're going to go out and look for another job. We're not. That's not what your resume is about. Um, your the, the first reason you need a resume is to manage the history of your career so it's at the ready. You know, it's possible that that you could be if you're in Western Australia, somebody could ask you for a for a donation to a political party. I'm, I'm sort of extrapolating here a little bit, and you you give a hundred dollars to to a politician, and and uh, the person gets elected and says, you know, I need somebody to serve on this committee. Can you put together a background sheet for me? You can either spend four hours trying to get it right, have a mistake, and have it published on the internet and have you look like a fool. I'm making this up, of course, I, although that happened to a friend of mine in Texas, and he was very <laughs> embarrassed. Um, or you could have it done right, make a couple of small changes, really tighten it up, and then you're there. But if there are managers and uh, 
shop floor foremen who need resumes in Western Australia than almost anybody who's listened to this podcast who works at a major corporation in Europe, in Asia, in Australia, uh, in America. They need a resume too. Okay. So how do you maintain these things? How how often and, and what do you you know? Yeah. What's this, the process there? Th- this is really something that you know. W- once you know the format of a resume, of course, you can practically throw this podcast away. But this is really where I think smart people make a difference. You mentioned about how when you need your resume, you never seem to have the time to put it right. together when opportunity strikes. And I've been trying to jog my memory about that quote about successes where opportunity meets preparation or something like that. Um, uh, but. You should make time on your schedule, and I know everybody's busy this week, but three weeks from now, their schedule is empty. Once a quarter, 45 minutes to an hour at the end of the workday. Look, you're not that busy. You could schedule it now for the end of this year. You could do it between Christmas and New Year's, okay? Um, And you review it every quarter. Basically, what I do is I'm looking at my resume. If I do something really successful... Um, I've got a client, I just wrote a, a note on my resume, a handwritten note, so that when I come to my quarterly review, I can look at it and say, I'm going to add that bullet. And over the course of each quarter, I'm adding bullets to my most current job. When my jobs change, even if I, you know, if I didn't have to have a resume internal to my company um, and I, I got to get in a new job, um, I will then add that new job at the end of the quarter. And I'll add a couple of bullets for that first quarter. Now, in the first quarter, I may not have any great bullets, but I'll put down what I did. In the next quarter, I'll have six months, and I'll have a couple of more bullets. And then in nine months, I'll have a couple more bullets. And then I can start thinking about, you know, those first couple of bullets I put on there really weren't all that great. I'm going to go ahead and take them off. And it's a constant process of looking at what you have, looking at what you've done, seeing which is best, and taking it off. With one important caveat. In the time that you're maintaining it on a quarterly basis and drawing notes in the margin when you do something really well or one of your people gets promoted ahead of schedule, whatever whatever is unique or different at your firm, uh, as you're doing that, your resume might end up being longer than a page. Oh, it might be a page and a quarter. God forbid. No. Yeah, well, oh. it's, it's a, in draft form. And here's where you get really good resumes. You might have a page and a half resume because it's been a year or 18 months since you used your resume and had to tighten it up. But now you're being interviewed for a job at another part of your company. Or maybe a job that requires a little bit different skills and your boss really, the boss over there really knows you and really likes you. Okay, that's great. Or you're going to a different company, perhaps, or maybe a different division of your company in a different part of the world. By having some additional bullets on your most current job or your last two jobs, you can look at all of the bullets rather than just two or three or four or five bullets. You can look at 10 bullets each. Yeah, that pushes the bottom of your resume off to the second page. But you can look and say, okay, if I have to cut it down to five or six bullets for these couple of jobs, which one of these bullets are most relevant to the job that I'm interviewing for? If your job is marketing and finance, and you're interviewing for a finance job, you want to have the bulk of those responsibilities, or the accomplishments, I mean, be finance rather than marketing. So by reviewing your resume every quarter and adding something every quarter, you know, again, you don't have to cut stuff out because your resume may end up, be, it's okay to have it longer than a page. That stuff at the bottom may get pushed over. That's okay because it'll allow you to tailor it just right if you have the right stuff for that job. Um, that you're interviewing for. And again, we're not trying to get you to leave your company. We're not suggesting everybody jump ship. Plenty of times you have to interview for a job within your company. Now, somebody asked me the other day, Mike, they said, well, but jobs inside my company don't require a resume. Yes, but they do require somebody who remembers their history and knows the accomplishments they've had and has prepared answers for to the behavioral questions that they're going to get in those interviews. The resume becomes the way you prepare for internal job interviews, even if they don't require your resume because you're an internal applicant. Yeah, good point. Yep.
Okay. Couple quick before we wrap up. A couple right. other questions. How how about you know we have a lot of technical folks yes. on listening to us. How about at the top having or at the bottom a list of technical skills? Yeah, you know, Solaris, PhDs, Unix, SQL. Linux, right? Yeah, all that stuff. No way. No way. Now people will tell you, oh well, they're using resume scanning systems. Yeah. And if you think the computer only looks at the first third of your page to look for a bulk of all the stuff together, it doesn't. It scans the entire thing and it looks for Unix and HP and open source and, uh, you know, blog and all those kinds of things. So if it's in there, it's in there. So if you had success delivering code on time and under budget, tell me what the code was written in, you know, delivered 1.6 million lines of C++ code in a DB2 environment, blah, 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 on time and on budget. There's the stuff I need to know. Now I have context for it and I can ask you more questions. All too often what I find is that tech people jam everything in the top thinking that it's nothing but a resume scanning system. And then when I pick one thing out and I ask, how much have you done with that? Oh, well, it's been a while for that one. And then suddenly, because I got lucky and picked one you weren't that good with, I paint that entire paragraph with the weakness of that one. Hmm. Spread it out throughout your resume. Don't bulk it up at the top. In the context of a particular exactly. accomplishment. Exactly. Or, or responsibility. Yeah. Okay. How about the relatively common, uh, somebody at the very top puts an objective, you know, um, seeking a job as a manufacturing engineer in a high growth company or yeah. some other kind of objective. Yeah. We turned down all the ones asking for seeking for manufacturing engineer in a high growth company because we're not a high growth company. <laughs> I love that. Um, I only work for a really great company because I'm only a really great guy. Um, no, absolutely don't do it. Look, if you go to a one page resume, somebody out there ought to do the math and tell me how many, if you have no, no smaller than half inch margins, because I think your printer won't go any smaller than that. How many lines of text you actually get? I mean, you can actually mess with kerning a little bit, I think, or line spacing uh, in Microsoft Word. But but no, you don't need to waste that line and the carriage return that would be necessary to separate it from everything else. Don't do it. Because you may very well, the, the recruiter may look at it and go, you know, Ozan's really good for this, but boy, he'd be really great for that. Oh, it says this objective on it. You, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm. That's okay. 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 How, about a, how about a minor variation of that? This one being not the focus so much on the job or position they're looking for, but more a summary of them as an individual, kind of high-charging, highly motivated, inspirational manager <laughs> slash leader, facilitator, yeah. seeking blah, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. That's the key. <laughs> Superman does not need an ad firm. He just doesn't. Um, it's always the same. Highly motivated, supercharged, double deluxe. You almost want to say, God, can I have fries with that? It's a super meal. You know, it's a happy meal. Um, no. Uh, don't do it. We don't believe a word of it. They all sound the same. I'm amazed at what I... I know people who are low energy, very nice people, but they're low energy and they're not top performers and they call themselves high energy top performers. So, no, leave it out. You don't have the room. If you've had any experience at all that we're excited about, job and how well you did it, let your job history speak for itself. All right, that's great. Why don't you just summarize for us the, the top... Five or so points in terms of what we people should be getting out of this podcast. Good way to close out. Um, one page, 10-point font, contact information at the top, reverse chronological job history, Each jo and each job has uh, admin, responsibilities, and accomplishments, and review it religiously every quarter. Period. That's it. Super. Thanks, All right. Mike. Thanks, my friend.